election day is around the corner. There may be a lot of confusion when it comes to election day, such as how will the country change or stay the same after the election, and how can I make a difference in my community outside of voting? Some questions may be easier to answer than others, but today, Pass the Mic will be breaking down the United States 2020 election and giving you all the information you need to know. So to start, let's talk about voting, mail-in voting, ballots, and basically everything that might help you today, day of. Something that comes up a lot is, you know, mail-in voting. How, how trustworthy is it? Overall, mail-in voting is a trustworthy way to submit your ballot. If you've mailed your ballot in at least 10 to 14 days before November 3rd, your ballot should be collected in time. You can also call your local election office to ensure they've received your ballot, as well as in certain states, including Michigan, track your ballot online. Um, however, if you haven't voted by mail by the time you're listening to this podcast, uh, which you know, is airing day of the election. It is way too late to mail in your ballot. Don't even try. The best course of action at this point is vote in person at your polling place. If you already have your absentee ballot, you can drop it off, but definitely don't be putting that in the mail. It's not going to get anywhere on time. There's also been some anxiety and worries about mail-in ballots with stories like the man in Boston who lit a ballot box on fire. But, you know, these, these are separated incidents. I'm not saying that they don't happen, but it is very unlikely that this will happen to your mail-in vote specifically because it is technically extremely illegal, can face severe punishment. At the same time, you know, there have also been cases of, you know, fraudulent ballot boxes, which are also things to be aware of. Most of the reports I've heard about this were in um, the Southern California area. I haven't heard anything about this with respect to Michigan. Um, but it is something to keep an eye out for. Uh, we'll include in the episode article um, some links to what ballot books look like. So how can I see my ballot prior to arriving at the polls? So let's say you're you're going to vote day of in person today. And you want to know who's on the ballot. What exactly are you voting for besides the president? Because there are all these other offices, local offices, that are just as important to vote for as the presidential election. So websites like uh, Vote411, so www.vote411.org slash ballot. Um, and, and the Secretary of State can be used to see your personalized ballot beforehand. Um, and we'll link to these in the episode article as well. So this is really useful if you want to research all your candidates and proposals that affect your local town and state. Once you're able to see that ballot, Ballotpedia is a great resource. Um, it is missing a couple of things here and there, so I would say make sure you're doing your own research outside of a one-stop shop sort of place, but it is a great jumping-off point, and it'll often give you at least um, a basic overview of who the candidates are, even in the lo more local elections. Okay, so you're voting in person, and you want to be COVID safe, which is a super important thing to be worried about. Lines have been so long this election season, um, going as far as 16 hours, and that's a lot of time around other people outside, yes, but, you know, it's it's a gathering, and that's something that you want to be aware of. So, obviously, follow CDC COVID-19 guides, wear a mask, maintain as much distance as you can from other voters while you're waiting in line. Um, really, a lot of that is just going to be circumstantial, but do your best. If you have hand sanitizer, use it before and after, especially when you're touching frequently touched objects. Bring your own black ink pen if you want to limit your exposure to other objects. 
Um, and if you're anxious in general about voting, take a deep breath. Okay, so question. I heard that whether Biden or Trump wins, there will be a civil war. How likely is that? What should I do? So according to Boston University professor and historian Nina Silber, technically speaking, no, this is not likely. And also definitionally, this is not likely. So historically, a civil war consists of masses of people willingly engaging in, quote, violence against their political enemies. Um, this is not to say that political violence won't increase. There is a large chance this will happen. It has been it has been happening over the past few years. Um, so this includes things like terrorist organizations committing hate crimes uh, to marginalized groups of people. That sort of thing, definitely there is a possibility that would happen. But a civil war, no. Um, that is not something likely that you will need to worry about at this current point in time. Um, but, you know, do be aware of, you know, what or organizations might be gathering in your area. Be careful and be safe. What if Trump loses but refuses to leave office? So this is a concern mostly because he's been tweeting and saying a lot of things just like that. Um, but, you know, he can't stay in office. More people are concerned not about if he loses and refuses to leave, but, you know, because he has so much power, what if he uses that power to manipulate election results in his favor? Um, we know there are already reports of you know, pro-Trump convoys blocking roads, stopping people from getting to the voting booth. And so for this, I'm just going to quote this Atlantic article. So basically what this is saying is that, you know, this is a genuine possibility. It's uh, possible that Biden wins the election and, you know, Trump shows up to be sworn in. And this is something that we are not prepared for. That is a direct quote. We are not prepared for this at all um, from Julian Zelizer, who is a Princeton professor of history uh, and public affairs. And so people really don't know what might happen in this case. I think this is something that we will just see happen as it happens. Um, it is also very possible that Trump will try and claim an early win before all the final ballots have been counted. Um, this has happened before, not necessarily with Trump, but basically getting Congress to pass some sort of motion that'll basically not wait for any recounts, such as um, this happened in 2000 with Al Gore and Bush. Congress basically uh, just declared the winner before the Florida recount was done and effectively said, um, no, we have our winner and it is Bush. So that sort of thing has happened in the past. There is definitely precedent. However, some other people are saying that the election will only even go into overtime if it's a close election in a swing state that is essential, basically. Um, and according to the current polls, and this is according to Rick Hazen, who is a law professor at UC Irvine, it's currently not projected to be super likely. Take this with a grain of salt because Trump's 2016 win was also unlikely and not super predicted. But if it helps your peace of mind, then Mr. Hausen says that it is unlikely. So question, what would happen if one of the candidates died from COVID before being sworn in? What happens if the president dies after being sworn in? So this is a very common question that we've seen floating around. And so I'll give you a couple of perspectives. So according to AP News, if a candidate dies after being elected and confirmed by Congress, which happens around January 6th, then they're considered the president-elect and the vice president-elect would take over their term. So there is pre-election, which is everything up to today. There is there is post-popular election, but pre-electoral uh, election, which would be from today until December 14th, which is when the electoral college is scheduled to vote. Then there is post-electoral college vote, but pre-confirmation by Congress, and that is December 14th to January 6th. And then there's, you know, the inaugur after post-confirmation into inauguration. 
So to reiterate, if a candidate dies after the Congress confirmation on January 6th, then they would have been already considered the president-elect, and then the vice president-elect would take over their term, similar to what would happen if a president died during office. If a president dies during office and the vice president takes over their term, there is much historical precedent for that. That's just what happens. Basically, dying any time after becoming president-elect means the vice president takes office. But what about that period between Election Day and January 6th? So going to the popular vote, which is today, Um, It's common knowledge that the popular vote doesn't decide the election. The electoral college vote does. And this electoral college vote doesn't happen until about a month after election day. This year, it's scheduled for December 14th. If a candidate dies before the electoral college votes, it's possible that the electors could vote for a candidate recommended by the affected party. Um, it, It would be too late for a new candidate to be added to the ballot, but the GOP or DNC could recommend a candidate, um, basically with their party affiliation. The electors do have power here. Technically, electors are elected in order to, to be aligned with a particular party, but they, you know, they can vote against their party. This has happened before. It's not very common, but it does happen. And so individually, they could decide not to vote for the new proposed candidate, which could change the outcome. This also depends on what laws every state has in place regulating their choice because some states do have laws that say electors must vote party. And so in those states, electors wouldn't have as much choice. It would really be down to state laws. So that leaves us with the period from December 14th to January 6th, which is after the Electoral College would have voted, but before Congress confirms the winner as presidential-elect. So this is where it starts to become a little bit of a toss-up. AP says it would be confusing and that Congress would likely have the final say, but there are other opinions. Uh, Congressional Research Service researcher Thomas Neal claimed in an article for Vox that the vice president takeover rule would probably still apply once the Electoral College has voted, but that's not necessarily officially written in stone. So it is that's the most nebulous period is after the electoral college is voted but before a candidate was confirmed by Congress. And so the last question that we're sort of answering today is a bit more of a philosophical one. It's how do you find hope? So I've got two answers here. I'm actually going to uh, tell you that this is from both of our content producers. Um, Camille Moore and Phoebe Kim, they're wonderful. They do all the research for our episodes, and both of them have really great answers for this, so I'm just going to directly quote both of them. So from Camille, we have, It may be easier for some to find hope through politicians than others. Election season can be stressful and scary no matter which candidates win. But holding on to connections in your community and building new ones is an amazing way to stay hopeful. We recognize that elections rarely change systemic issues in the United States, That's why looking to your local organizations, activist coalitions, friends, and family is important to keep the stamina and continue fighting for change and liberation. Thank you, Camille. And then from Phoebe, we have, quote, Don't rely on the election to give you hope. Personally, the way I find hope is through people. That may be cheesy, but with everything changing so much lately, human connection and support will always be there, and you don't have to seek out hope in just other people. Be a source of hope for others, whether it be by donating to mutual aid funds to practice community care or talking to a good friend or loved one. People find hope in each other. 
I don't have a ton to add to that because I think both of them really covered it quite well. But I w- I'm just going to reiterate the message of, you know, surround yourself with your loved ones, reach out to them, hold on to them, um, find your community, hold on to your community, and look to the future with your community. You know, however you might find that. Maybe that's family, maybe that's friends, um, your local area. Community is a very important concept. I think core aspect of community is taking care of each other, uh, which is something that's often glossed over when we talk about the idea of community in media these days. A lot of time it's just lumping groups of people with similar traits together. And I think community has a meaning beyond that. I think a community is formed of people who actively make the choice to look out for each other and care for each other and lift each other up. And that is a great place to find hope and to put your hope into. And so on that subject, how can I get involved in politics outside of voting? So there are organizations that work year-round to help their communities in ways that politicians have refused to do or can't do. As we've said multiple times, voting is only one way of getting involved and making a difference. Research mutual aid organizations in your area that are hosting clothing drives, donating food, providing other necessary resources to marginalized groups. Reaching out to individuals in your community is an immediate way of helping others and can be way more impactful than you know. So the next bit is going to be for our Ann Arbor area residents and Metro Detroit area, and I'm just going to read off a couple of resources and mutual aid options. Uh, We will be linking all of these in the episode article. So if you live in the Ann Arbor area, there's a Washtenaw County Mutual Aid and Resources Facebook page where residents share important information and resources to help each other through tough times. If you live in the Metro Detroit area, Michigan Mutual Aid Coalition for the People Detroit and Oakland County Mutual Aid are just a few mutual aid orgs in the area that you should check out. And we'll be listing all of these again on our episode article, but I'm going to go ahead and read off their names. So there's the Detroit Community Fridge, Michigan Mutual Aid Coalition, For the People Detroit, Oakland County Mutual Aid, Hey All Detroit, and Food Not Class Detroit. And these are all you know, good organizations for wanting to reach out and get involved in your community. I hope that whether or not you're deciding to vote this election, that you will consider reaching out to these mutual aid groups and getting involved in this way as well. Because again, if we're going to put our hope in community, we should all be doing our most to give back and get involved. Thank you. So that was a lot. Today we covered some basic and not so basic topics about the election. Hopefully that relieved some confusion or stress from your experience. You know, we hope to share truthful and accurate information so that we can keep these democratic processes running as smoothly as they can. And we'd really like to thank you for tuning in. We hope that you were able to learn a thing or two and can pass this information along to anyone you think may need it. Don't forget to vote. And and don't forget to get involved, too. Whatever you decide is the best way for you to get involved politically, um, please go and do it. Don't forget about that. Um, Yeah.